Good morning and welcome to Recipe for Success. As you can see, I'm here by myself this morning right now. Um, I'm hoping that my guest will still be able to join me, but I decided um, instead of counseling like I have done in the past, I decided to actually go ahead and go live this morning because I think this topic is really important and I actually have some thoughts on it as well. Hey, here's Rachel. So very exciting. Hi. I think she made it. Yay. Hi. So, Sorry about that. I was trying to lower my like backdrop. My my I have a green screen behind me for events I've been doing. And my husband's the one that always puts it up and down. And I was like, I don't know how to fix it. <laughs> well, well, that's okay. Um, so it would be I, if I was really technologically savvy, I could throw up some amazing background behind you, but we'll go with the green. <laughs> and just Literally. everyone know her skin does not have a green tint, so it's all good. Um Thank you so much. Um, for those of you that are just joining us, again, um, my name is Nancy Giacalone, and this is Recipe for Success. And we have a very exciting guest today, Rachel Druckenmiller with Unmuted. For those of you that have never joined us before, Recipes for Success combines my love of cooking with my love of business, leadership, personal development, because what I discovered was that um, in the cooking process, there was always one ingredient or technique, easy for me to say, um, that was critical to the outcome of the recipe. And the more I thought about it, the more I realized that was true in business and in life as well. So um, again, I would like to introduce Rachel Druckenmiller, allow her to tell, her, to tell all of you a little bit about herself. I am going to quit stumbling over my words very soon, I promise. Until then, Rachel, tell us a little bit about yourself and your career history. Uh, yeah, so I, let's see, from the time I was really little, I've always been fascinated by human behavior. And I was very shy as a kid and would never have thought that I would speak and sing <laughs> for my job. I mean, like there's just, it was not in my realm of possibility growing up. Um, and my parents are both entrepreneurs. So I grew up in a home where I saw people shaping their own reality. And I figured that that was a normal thing to do and that you should love your work and that you should get to, um, kind of shape your own path. And that to me was what was normal. And I, of course you realize pretty quickly once you're in the workforce that that's like not the normal way of thinking <laughs> about things. <laughs> so, you know, I, I studied psychology in school and I ended up working for a benefits consulting firm. I interned, you know, internships can turn into long-term careers that you don't necessarily expect. And that's what happened for me. I was an intern um, through my summers in college at a benefits consulting firm. And then, um, good morning, Judy. And, and then I um, discovered the field of corporate wellness. And it sort of combined my fascination with human behavior and understanding and um, a lifelong journey with just being interested in food and nutrition and um, and and healing. And I thought, well, this is interesting. And so I just sort of made up a job. I was like, I'm gonna be a wellness coordinator. I don't know what that person does, but I'm gonna figure out, I'm gonna make it up. And and I did. And then eventually I was there 13 years and I was the national director of well-being um, for for the company. And I discovered the thing I loved most over the years, um, really starting in starting in 2010 is when I had my first. Uh, speaking gig for for a client of ours, just sort of, you know, would you come speak to our managers? And I was like, I'm like 25. Do I have anything to say? <laughs> you know, um, and and I discovered that that was the thing I love the most. And starting about five or six years ago, I, I just realized I want to do this like all the time. I want to do the speaking thing. I don't want to do the any other part of my job. I just want to speak and train. 
And so two years ago, I decided to leave and launch my own business. And, um, you know, I, I stand for being a boldly expressed and joyfully alive. And uh, to me, that's what the unmuted life is. And so I get to work with companies and leaders and teams and, and help them find that sense of aliveness and connection and resilience and strength and, and joy. And I, I really love what I do. I love that. Um, so you may or may not remember me, but I remember you because um, I was part of Benefit Advisors Network and, I, and, and as were you um, for the company that you worked for. And I remember um, you stood out. You, you stood out to me even back then. I remember you standing up and asking questions or making points. And so when I read more about your story and how you were starting to feel a little bit disconnected and dissatisfied and like maybe you were not able to fully express yourself, it was surprising to me, but also a great reminder that we cannot compare our insides to another person's outsides because outside, it seemed like you had it all going on. Yeah. So um, what was the catalyst to finally, as you say, unmute yourself and take that leap of faith? I'd say the major catalyst, honestly, was... Well, I had some funny conversations with folks that were, you know, in, in corporate. I remember I spoke, it was the first time I had gotten to speak in front of, um, so Alera Group was the bigger mm -hmm. entity, SIG was the Baltimore office. And I, it was the first time I got to speak at the corporate level. They'd heard about me, like our CEO had told them about me, like Rachel's really great, bring her in. And so I spoke at one of their client events to their annual um, symposium to like 300 of their clients and prospects. And I'll never forget one of the people who had gone to that event reached out to me afterwards. We were having a conversation and I remember this person said, uh, how, how long do we have? And I remember thinking to myself, I'm just trying to get started. In it. Like, I'm just trying to prove myself to you guys so that you'll, you know, have me and have me come to more of these things and bring me to your office all over the country. And, you know, it was just a really honest question that sort of gut punched me where I was like, oh, shoot, like we're taking the veil away here. We're getting really honest. And I, I honestly, in that moment, I said, I said, I don't know, probably two or three years. <laughs> Like, I'm not a long, I'm not a long play. Like I even right. knew that. And I was like, this is not a long play. And, and sure enough, a year after that conversation, I was like, I'm leaving. <laughs> so it was, I had signed up that um, fall. It was just a crazy, you can't make this stuff up, how these things unfold. No, I, you cannot. Like I was at a conference in San Diego, a wellness conference, and a bunch of us were hanging out at a restaurant and there was a guy there who was a speaker who I did not know. And he was with one of the people that we were with. And, and so, I, and, and so I was asking them about this person and so, yeah, he's a speaker. You should, you should talk to him. Cause I knew I wanted to speak for like full time. And so I went and talked to him. His name's Clay Abair. And I said, if there's any like book or resource you'd recommend for somebody who wants to get into this, what would you suggest? And he said, uh, steal the show. The book's called steal the show by Michael and Amy Port. He said, they've run a speaking company called heroic public speaking. And uh, they have live events. And so I, I ordered the book, got home, started looking through. And I was like, oh, they're in New Jersey. I'm in Baltimore. I want. And then I looked up their prices and I was like, this is insane. I mean, this is absolutely, I, I can't do this. I can't do this. I saw they had a live event in Philadelphia. I went by myself to this live event with 500 people. I didn't know. It turned out that I knew one person there. Um, and I was so sucked in. I was among... We did master classes for two days. We worked with improv coaches and vocal coaches and 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 writing coaches and like my mind was blown. I mean, I was so 
I felt so alive. And they did this like altar call at the end of the second day where they're like, here's our program. You can sign up for it. There's only X number of spots. They did all the things that really work to get people to oh, sign yeah. up and stuff. And I literally felt like my heart was going to burst out of my chest. Like it was compelling me. I called my husband and I said, do you trust me? Because this is like a significant investment. And I wasn't expecting my company to pick up any of it because I knew it was my door. I knew it was my gateway out. Like I knew that. Sure. I, was, I was like, I'm not going to expect them to pay for this. I signed up for that program. And let me tell you, that was the thing that got me to realize I should incorporate singing into my speaking and being among a group of 80 people who were so passionate about speaking, about doing this work made me realize like, I can do this too. I can do this too. And so seven months later, I told my boss, hey, I'm leaving in September. <laughs> and you said, what took you so long? Yeah. Well, it's funny because he said he was like, I, he was surprised. I, the timing of it. I, I don't think he thought it was going to come at that, that time, but he said, you know, I knew this was a matter of when and not if like we all knew it was a matter of, it was just up for me to like catch up and figure that out. Um, but yeah, so I felt very supported. I still work with them. So it's like, it's all, it's a good relationship. It's the importance of not burning bridges, you know? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Um, I agree with that a hundred percent. I, I have really good relationship with most of my, you know, former employees because I mean, life's too short to not, yeah. right. Agreed. Um, Okay, so how did you actually settle on the, the name of your company, Unmuted, which I love, by the way, but um, how did you come up with that? I've been writing about that in journals since 2015. And the thing is, I was still muted. I wasn't fully stepping into uh, the full, like the, 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 I think the fullness of who I am and can be. I would hold myself back when you're working for somebody else, you don't have total freedom to say whatever you want. Like you don't. And I'd have to be mindful. There might be things I disagreed with in the wellness industry that uh, how things are done in the broker world about like incentivizing people to do stuff. And there were certain things that were done in my industry that I fundamentally disagreed with. Fundamentally. I had good reasons for disagreeing with them. One, I'd seen that they a lot of the times weren't effective or that people were just checking boxes and they weren't actually transforming and they resent the group to resent something that we were hoping was going to be life-giving for them. And I, I, I just, I couldn't really get behind that, but I also had to be mindful of the fact that I was in an industry that was behind that. And, and so that started to really, in some ways weigh on me. And I realized I want to be able to say whatever I want to say. And it's not like I ever felt censored. Nobody came to me and were like, Rachel, you can't talk about that. But but I knew that there were certain things I wanted to be saying that I wasn't, you know. And as somebody who was very, you know, muted as a child, was very shy, reserved, soft-spoken, avoided things like drama, theater, choir. <laughs> um, I avoided all of that. And I was a toned down, muted version of myself. And it was a, it's been a gradual process. People are like, when did you get unmuted? I'm like, no, 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 this is a lifelong journey. This is yeah, not, absolutely. Yeah. It's not overnight. You know, it's, and for me, it was, you know, little things like I, I lived in Spain for a semester in college and that activated a certain part of aliveness in me. And, and I came back and tried out for a solo for gospel choir and that activated another thing. And then I would be out looking for clothes and instead of wearing, you know, for like 50 shades of pastel shirts, I'd buy like a hot pink blazer or like a shirt with a tiger on it or 
like bright yellow shoes and, and not to like prove anything, but just because that's how I felt. I felt like I was finally externalizing what was inside of me. And I, and I just felt this outpouring of, I, you know, and when the singing came along, I felt like this has always been a source of joy for me, but I judged it for so long that I didn't share it. And so for me, my saying that my company declaring that that's the name of who I am and, and what I do felt like just the ultimate declaration of this is what I stand for. I stand for joyful aliveness. I stand for expression. I stand for making, you know, helping our, helping inviting people to feel seen and heard. Um, and, and to feel more, more confident in, in how they show up in the world and less insecure and, and judging of themselves. So that was really what I'd say is behind the name. I, I love that. So again, because I saw you in your former life and you were always really well put together and confident and spoke with authority, but now you just kind of exude joy. I mean, the difference in your persona is very obvious to somebody from the outside. So I think that's Aww. kind of cool. Yeah. Um, okay. So I don't usually read off my notes, but because I had a couple of important things I wanted to fine. Uh, Do bring up. It's your I'm, show. I'm notes, it's so. your show. <laughs> so one of the, well, I just, I use them as an outline, but there was a couple of things I wanted to be sure and bring up with you. So yeah. one of the most compelling statements on your website is that you were silenced so much of your joy for the sake of hustling to get ahead. Ooh, mm. that one just hit me right in the gut when I read that. Mm. I think so many of us can relate to that. Um, tell us a little bit more about how, what that felt like and what prompted you to change it. I mean, we've talked about it a little bit, but mm -hmm. I think it's such an important piece, especially for women professionals. Yeah. We're under so much pressure to look, be, and do things a certain way. Mm -hmm. Ooh, yeah. Carl says, hello, fellow singer. Hello. <laughs> um, how are you? Uh, I <laughs> Don't worry, she's going to sing. I also do randomly break in the song. Um, you know, for me, a lot of it was what happened when I burned out and got mono five years ago. And you know, a dream I was drowning led me six months later into a doctor's office with a diagnosis of Epstein-Barr virus, which is an acute form of mono. I lost my voice, which has happened to me multiple times in my life, but I lost my voice. I bottomed out. I I felt kind of numbed out. I would imagine I was experiencing a, a, at least a mild degree of depression during that season um, because I just couldn't I couldn't seem to like activate a spark anywhere. You know, it's like, it, it didn't, it feel like it had just totally dimmed out. And I was scared because I was like, my energy is like, why people work with me? <laughs> right, right. And I was like, and I don't have my energy. Like how, how I don't, how, how can I be in the world if I can't be this, ex this more expressed version of myself? And so I had a lot of time for reflection and introspection during that, during that time, one, because I couldn't talk. <laughs> um, I mean, you can't talk. Sometimes we have to get muted, I think. In to become unmuted, yeah. To hear things that we otherwise miss when we're, when we're busy, you know, kind of clamoring away. So I think I lost when we burn out, we lose our joy. When we, when we burn out, the joy is gone. We're just in survival mode. And for me, so much of my career and just life in general has been focused on uh, achieving and impressing and, and working my way up and getting gold stars and getting awards. And I know how to play those games and in our society, you know, yeah, 
you, you get rewarded for that. And I, and I did, but I realized I felt it was a message from a friend, a text message that a friend sent me right after I had been diagnosed with, with mono. She sent me a message that started with the words, warning, unsolicited observation coming. <laughs> Great. Like, you know, can't, can't wait for that one. Um, so yes. And same with hearing. And I have a 60% yeah. hearing loss on my left ear. That's been there 20 years. Um, she texted me and said, warning, unsolicited observation coming. And I was like, Ooh, boy. <laughs> and I kept scrolling and, and she said, you know, you share so often on social media about not worrying so much about achievement and about slowing down. This was in March of 2017. But if I may say so, like you yourself rarely seem to slow down. You don't seem content or fulfilled. Oh, that was a gut punch, wasn't it? <laughs> it just, it was like, you feel like you're standing on a stage naked and a thousand people are looking at you. It was what it felt like emotionally. Like I felt so exposed and I was like, oh my gosh, like, does, do other people see this? You know what I mean? It was just that realization of like, if one person sees this, are there a bunch of people that know this and just aren't telling me? And because people's approval has always, to some degree, I wouldn't say it's always mattered to me because I've been a bit of a contrarian <laughs> and just done things that are counter to what people expect me to do, which is fine. But when it comes to like perception and authenticity, I want people to feel like what they're seeing is what's actually there. And I wrote back to her after rereading that a few times. And I said, yeah, you know, you're right. And I'm working on that. I, I didn't know what else to say because she was right. Right, right. <laughs> I, I wasn't content or fulfilled. And, um, you know, I had been named a year and a half earlier, like the number one health promotion professional in the United States. And I was, you know, rising up in my career. And I was, you know, it. I was growing a lot. And I, you know, I had a, I have a great husband. And, but there were just things that, I, I really wasn't, I really wasn't content or, or fulfilled. And, and I think for me, I probably knew deep down all along that I wasn't going to feel content or fulfilled until like I was doing what I wanted to do where, the way that I wanted to do it. Um, and I didn't have ask permission and, and it, it took a journey of like bottoming out. It took me completely bottoming out and getting to that point of, of burning out to wake me up and to realize like, is this how you want to live your life? It was this internal, I think burnout, I define burnout as a state of disconnection and it's disconnection from joy. It's disconnection from, um, from, from purpose. It's disconnection from other people. It's, it's disconnection from our, our, you know, our sense of values and what drives us. And so I had to really recalibrate. I had to do a significant recalibration of every area of my life. And it was really hard. Um, but I do think that that season which at that point was the most difficult thing I'd ever been through, prepared me for all of the mess that I've been through in the past two years. <laughs> yeah. So a couple of things jump out at me from your statements there. First of all, is that sometimes we get so caught up in the process of doing, mm -hmm. we forget about the joy of being, yeah. of just being ourselves because we're just so process oriented. And believe me, I am talking to myself when I say that. That is not that is not other people. That is me. Um, so I have to watch that. And then the other thing is recently, so I'm in a, um, a mastermind of other women professionals in the industry. And um, it wasn't this month, it was the prior month we were discussing burnout. Yeah. And so many women brought up exactly what you're talking about, that we almost we called it stress mono. 
because mm-hmm. I know I get it. I lose my voice. Yeah. And people are like, are you getting sick? I'm like, I don't think so. But but it is. It's just that that stress just is so difficult on your body yeah. that we we underestimate it and we don't we don't treat it the same way we would a broken arm. Mm-hmm. And we should. Yes. That emotion guy, there's a guy named Guy Winch, I think his name is, who has a TED talk called Emotional First Aid. Yeah. Um, it's about that topic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's talk a little bit about resilience because that's again, something that you focus on often with, with um, your corporate employers you work with and the employees that attend. So let's, tell me a little bit about what, what your thought process is around that and how you help people become more resilient. Well, you know, resilience is a capacity that can be developed. And so I think first and foremost, it's helpful to know that. It's not like, oh, I either am resilient or I'm not. It's like, I've got it or I don't got it. No, you can develop it. It's like any type of muscle that you can strengthen and build up. And I think the more we go through difficult circumstances and everyone goes through them, it's just the extent to which you're open to learning from and finding wisdom and growth in the midst of an adverse experience. Because a lot of people go through, it's kind of like Groundhog Day, right? You go through a difficult situation. You don't learn anything from it. A year later, you go through the same kind of thing. You don't learn anything from it. And then there's another iteration that comes around. And so I think I think we have to really be awake to what's happening in our lives and to, to pause long enough and reflect to notice, you know, what what is working and what what isn't what isn't working and so when it comes to building when it comes to building resilience there are certain aspects of that i teach people about how to be more resilient um one of them is acceptance that acceptance is one of the key contributors to resilience because i, I say that that resistance is the antithesis of resilience resistance is like our feet are our feet in the mud, right? Like we're not, nope, I'm not moving. I wish this wasn't happening. I'm mad about this. You know, we can have our moment, have our little tantrum. But then at a certain point, like it is what it is. Like whatever's happening with COVID, it is what it is. And we can choose to accept it or we can choose to stay mad at it. And if we're exerting all this energy of being mad at reality, we're wasting energy to help ourselves move through it. And so I think that one of the first key elements of resilience is, is acceptance which is a part of the grief process, right? You've got to I, go that's through. what I was thinking. Exactly. Is it similar to processing grief? It is. It's like, all right, we got to, we're in denial and we're angry and then we're frustrated. And then we're, we might go to a place of depression and lack of motivation. And, and then we try something, right. And then we, that, and then we, we, we choose to accept what it is and we choose to move through it. And so I think acceptance and acceptance doesn't mean you like it. I think some people think, well, if I accept it, that means I'm agreeing with it. No, it just means you're not fighting it. Right. Right. <laughs> perfect. That's a perfect description. You know, it's like the fighting is what is so exhausting. Um, And so I think that's part of it. I think another part of building resilience, a significant contributor is uh, social support and social connection. Because so often, especially as high achievers, we have this thing ingrained in our minds where like, if if it's to be, it's up to me. And I need to figure it out. And I need to do it all. And I need to make things happen. And if I ask for help, that doesn't sound familiar to me. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Me neither. I haven't been here either. I've yeah. always been so interdependent on people. Oh, that's that's awesome. No. Um, yeah. Okay. So, um, all right. What is the other thing? 
one of your, again, I, I always like to do a little bit of research on people that come on. And so I sure. stalk you on various platforms. Um, I love that one of your goals for as many people is for as many people as possible to feel seen, heard, and psychologically safe to share, co-create, and innovate together. That statement, I just would love to have that like on a plaque on the wall. That is <laughs> absolutely awesome. I'm like, where did I, I write that? <laughs> I, I don't know, but I found it and I'm like, I got to write this down. I love this. Um, Website. And I, one of the things I pretty, or that I really liked is that you used the, the term psychologically safe. Mm -hmm. It was obviously an interesting and intentional word. So I'd like to know a little bit more about what you mean by that. Yeah. So, you know, it's a, it's a buzzword a lot, you know, in the culture industry and in the personal development space, right? It's really just this feeling that we can um, speak up and take a risk and be vulnerable in front of other people by asking questions, sharing ideas, sharing concerns, asking for help without fear that doing so is going to lead us to essentially be kicked out of the tribe right? Um, or judged in some way or criticized. It's that feeling that we can, we can be ourselves. And, and I, and I think there's a, there's a nuance that needs to be mentioned when it comes to psychological safety, that if, if you being yourself is disrespectful, inconsiderate, or um, in some way harmful to another person, I'm not for that. People sometimes translate unmuted to mean that. Well, I'm just going to say what I think. I'm going to say whatever I think. I'm going to say my piece. If you saying your piece again, is harmful or disrespectful or inconsiderate to another person, then we're not really like collectively moving forward. So I think it's important to recognize like that, you know, we need to create spaces and this is not easy to do. It's really, it can be really hard to speak up and to offer a counterpoint um, because people's egos get threatened. You know, there, we have a lot of work to do around this. There's just people, ever, there's just the walking wounded everywhere. You know what I mean? Like, and people are coming with stuff that happened when they were five that they never dealt with. And then they're yep. working with each other and they're interacting like five-year-olds because they haven't dealt with their stuff. You know, I see a therapist every, th every Saturday. Um, I mean, that was because of my accident that sure. I'm processing PTSD. And apparently PTSD has a really long timeline um, of recovery. But it is, but I'm like willing to do the work. So I think so much of this is like, we need to be willing to do the work. We need to be willing to turn the mirror on ourselves and be honest about, about how we're showing up that is productive and how we're showing up that's not. And I think a responsible, self-aware, self-regulated adult is willing to do the work of, of working with a therapist, working with a coach um, to help them with the areas that are blind spots for them. And I think that too many people walk around, just like Brene Brown says, like armored up, right? Armored up, armored up, nobody can get to me. And then they're allowed to just behave like a jerk at work when really what's behind that armor is a tremendous amount of fear and insecurity that they're not yeah. to deal with. <laughs> I always say that, you know, your honesty or your truth should be put through a filter of kindness yes. uh, because well really done. that's, if we, if we think about our, our words kind, they can be truthful and they might hurt a little bit, but if they're presented in a kind way, yeah. that's a lot better approach than just, you know, throwing it out there. Yeah. Spewing out, right? Like I say what I want. And I'm like, okay, a lot of people say what they want, but like, 
to what end? You know what I mean? Right. Like, what's the point? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree. Okay, so we are going to shift gears and talk about Rachel singing because oh. she has a voice on her, let me tell you. Um, okay. So you said in the beginning when you were talking, you said, oh, I didn't ever do choir when I was younger because mm -hmm. I was afraid. Well, how did you know that singing was something that brought you joy? And when did you finally say, hey, maybe I want to sing to people? instead of just to myself. <laughs> I mean, I've loved singing since I was like five, six years old. I mean, I would put in cassettes uh, of Amy Grant, Desiree, Mariah Carey, Ace of Bass. <laughs> <laughs> you really spill on the beans there, aren't you? James Taylor. I mean, very eclectic taste in music. Um, but there was always like a certain degree of like storytelling or soulfulness to the music that I listened to. Celine Dion, um, Shania Twain. And it was just, it was my escape. I mean, growing up, I, like I said, I was very shy and quiet. I would shut the doors in this one room in our house and I'd put in my tapes and I'd put these giant headphones on, which may have contributed to why I have hearing loss issues um, as an adult. But, and I would just, I would, I would turn the music up. This is so bad for my ears. Um, I would turn the music up so that I couldn't hear myself singing. I would sing along with the songs, but I would, and I'd have the lyric sheets, you know, the lyrics used to be like in the, oh, yes, yes. In, the um, in the tape. And I would sing along for hours. When I was in elementary school, middle school, I would do this. And I thought that if I, <laughs> some weird way, if I couldn't hear myself singing, then like nobody else could either. Meanwhile, I'm sure everyone else in my house, like I'm belting, you know what I mean? But there was something about singing in front of people that felt so exposing. And I just, I didn't feel comfortable in my own skin growing up. I really didn't. Um, I knew who, I knew who I was in the sense of being a really good student, but that was like my only identity. I'm smart. That was like the only part of my identity that I really connected with was like, Rachel is smart. And I didn't connect with the other parts of myself, even though I loved, I'd write poems and I'd write stories. And um, I had this creative expression that I that really enjoyed, but I, it was very, um, exposing to, to share that with people. So, and I went to Catholic school for 12 years and we would be in church, like we'd have to go to mass all the time and stuff. And I remember if I was singing in church, you know, sometimes when you're in a setting like that, if someone's singing loudly, people will like turn around and look at them oh, yeah. side, side eye. If people would do that to me, I automatically assumed it was for a bad reason. And I would lip sync. <laughs> And okay. usually they were turning around because who has that good voice? I, I never what was going that. through their what was, what was going through their head. Yeah, it could have been. I was like, I'm too loud or it doesn't sound good. Like that's yes, Carl's storytelling is it. I mean, yeah. everything. And I'm a storyteller now. I speak for a living. I tell stories. It's so fun. So, you know, I I would do that. And then it was my senior year of high school where I was like, I love singing and I want to work on it. So I signed up for voice lessons. Cause I was like, okay, this is just one-on-one. -on -one. I get to sing better for my audience of one. I had no aspirations of like being on stages. And my voice teacher said to me um, a little while into the semester, she said, so what song are you going to sing for the year end recital? I was like, oh, I won't be doing that. <laughs> I don't, I don't sing in front of people. And she was like, okay, well, all of my students pick a song. So let me know what your song is going to be. So I picked Angel by Sarah McLachlan, which is like one of the most yes. depressing, <laughs> heavy my gosh, 
It's about her friend dying, dying of a drug overdose. Like it's a terribly depressing song. And now we associate it with, you know, lost cats and dogs. So. Lost cats and dogs, right? PCA commercials. Yeah. <laughs> Spend all your time. Yeah. With. Right. Like, um, so I sang that. I was terrified. At no point in that recital was I happy to be opening my mouth and letting music out. No. I did not enjoy that. I could not wait to sit down. I felt like my jaw locked when I got up there to sing. I was like, thank God that's over with. And that was that. I did not join the choir. We had an incredible choir. They wore these long black gowns and pearl necklaces for their concerts. And I would just sit in the auditorium every single one of their concerts. Like, like I, I could be doing that, but I'm not, you know? So it really wasn't until my, when I got to college and then we had a gospel choir on campus, small college, like 2000 people. Our gospel choir director was like just this charismatic, awesome dude, Eric Bird. And uh, he didn't have to try out for gospel choir, which is why I never tried out for choir. You had to be you were in. Yeah, I was in. I was like, oh, you want to be in gospel choir? Be in gospel choir. There's 80 people. Your voice will blend in. Doesn't matter. So I joined and I was like, oh, because I went to their first, their, like, it wasn't a religious college, but everyone went to the gospel choir concert each semester. And the chapel would be packed out standing room only. And I remember sitting in there the first time I saw one of their concerts. And I was like, I want to do that. Like, they're having so much fun. They're like dancing on stage. There's energy. They're singing down the aisles. I was like, I, I want whatever that is. Joined it, sang with the choir, studied abroad in Spain, had an awakening, came back. They were doing tryouts for the spring concert in the spring of um, winter of 2005. And I was like, I'm doing it. I'm trying out for a solo. And I waited until everybody left. And it was just me and the director and assistant director. And I told him, I said, I want to try out for a solo. And I closed my eyes and I was shaking and I went to the microphone and I sang. And he was like, he gets up. He's like, where did that come from? He's like, knocked over a music stand. <laughs> well, it's been there. It's just, I've been afraid to let it out, you know? Um, so I had a solo, I got a solo and I had a solo every semester thereafter. And music is how my husband and I connected and we would sing at church together. And I had a friend ask me to sing with the band, a song with the band at her wedding. And, um, now I sing on keynotes that I do and I sing on LinkedIn and um, I've been trying to post a video today that has a, a, just talking about the importance of unmuting ourselves, but apparently it's a corrupt file. So I'm, <laughs> I've tried to so, upload it twice and it's not working. It so. can just be so frustrating when you, you, you're you all ready to go and it just doesn't work. I know. Then I had to rewrite the copy and I was like, darn it, LinkedIn. Why don't you save my copy and tell me it's a corrupt anyway, sidebar, but not sidebar. Yes. Sidebar. So I, just sidebar. I usually write my copy in word because I've had that happen enough times and I like, I copy and paste it now. Um, all right. So are you ready to sing something for us? Oh, yeah. Part of me is like, I should have gotten a drink of water before I Go did for this, it. But give me a una, una momento. Um, una momento. Just... You get a drink of water. I promise my audience I will I will not sing because everyone would just, the show would be over with immediately. <laughs> That's fine. I, yes. I Super. love, love. Yeah, go for I it. I can keep talking. It's all um, good. I, I absolutely adore music and I wish I could sing. I scare myself when I sing. So I promise all of my audience, I will not sing. Um, but it, Rachel does have an absolutely amazing voice. I've heard a number of her videos when she's singing. And so I'm super excited that she's going to sing something for us. So <laughs> what are you going to sing? Ah, oh, well, we have some choices that we okay. can make. Um, what kind of choices? Uh, well, there's a, there's a couple I I've been, so I started working. This is the other fun thing that I, I would encourage people to do is to think about what is the thing that like you really enjoy doing 
And what could you do to like level that up? So I knew that I liked singing and I started doing it like two years ago on stages with my speaking. And then I was like, you know, I want to work with a voice and I want to work with a voice teacher again. So in February, I hired a vocal coach. And so every Monday we come together and we hang out and we work on songs and we do warm ups and all sorts of fun things. So, you know, I've, I now have an arsenal of like 20 songs that we've been working on. So, um, there's one that, so James Taylor has a special place in my heart because my dad always listened to him growing up and only one by James Taylor was our first dance song at my wedding, my husband and I, and, um, uh, how sweet it is to be loved by you was our cake cutting song. So I just love James, James, I love Taylor. James Taylor. So you pick, you pick your favorite James Taylor song. Let's okay, do, so let's do that. We'll do this one. So this is one that, um, I think is a message that we need to be reminded of right now. And then as you're, for anyone who's with us listening, I would encourage you to think of whoever comes to mind as you're hearing the song that you would reach out to them and just check in or send them a message to let them know you're thinking of them or that, that you appreciate having them as a friend. So we'll do, we'll do this one. Here we go. When you're down and troubled and you need a helping hand and nothing, oh, nothing's going right. Just close your eyes and think of me and soon I will be there. To brighten up even your darkest nights, you just call out my name, and you know wherever I am, I'll come running. Oh, yes, I will to see you again. And don't you know that winter, spring, summer, or fall, all you gotta do is call, and I'll be there, yes I will, you've got a friend, ain't it good to know you've got a friend, ain't it good to know you've got a friend. Oh, yeah, you've got a friend. There you go. Okay, well, you just made me cry. So FYI, <laughs> that's the first time I've done it on the show. So that was beautiful and touching. And it made me think of all the special people in my life that, you know, have been there for me. So it was mm. really, really amazing. Okay, let's see if I can uh, come back from that. <laughs> No need, just own it, sink in yeah. with it, let yeah. it sit, you know, like feel, I'm such a big advocate and I wasn't always this way of just giving ourselves permission to feel like whatever it is that we, we feel, we so often try to expedite. I say that I hear that a lot of people like, oh, I'm so sorry. Or, oh, um, let me do that. Like, you know, <laughs> we, we apologize for how, and I'm not calling you, I do this too. So, so I'm speaking on behalf of someone who does this. Um, even my therapist would be like, wait, wait, wait. So say that again. Like just sit with that. So I've learned to just like sit with things a little bit more and to not judge myself. So if I'm sad and I'm crying, I'm sad and I'm crying. If I'm really excited and super joyful, like I'm not going to be like, oh, oh, I'm sorry. That was too much. Yeah. I used to do that. Now I'm like, here it is. You know, like, right. But this part of the thing in the video that I'm trying to post is the the line or the lyric. Um, I'm not scared to be seen. 
I make no apologies. This is me, right? From the greatest showman. Right. And you know, for me, I'm like, gosh, joyful people activate joy in other people. And somebody who is threatened or made uncomfortable by your joy, that's on them, not on you. And I've just learned to kind of accept that. Even with singing, some people like send me, well, leave an evaluation. It's rare, but that was unnerving. The person saying to us, okay, fine. I'm not for you, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> like, but most people are like, that was great. Sing again. That was such a delightful surprise. And I'm like, I'm, I'm done. I'm done hiding who I am so that other people don't feel weirded out by it. Yeah. I did that for too long. Well, it turns out that this show has been my personal therapy session. So <laughs> Rachel Druckenmiller, therapist, <laughs> anyway, we are going to um, transition into the fun part, the closing of every show that I do, which I always have my five burning questions. And to tie in the title of my podcast, I always have to have to ask this question. What is your absolute favorite food in the world? And can you cook it? Oh my gosh. I have so many favorites. I used to do cooking demonstrations and had a food blog called Rachel's Nourishing Kitchen. I had one like too. Five years. That's so cool. I, and I did the same thing. I did cooking demos and had a food blog for quite a long time. Oh my gosh. That's so awesome. It's a fun, it's fun, right? It like was so fun. much fun. I loved it. It's, it's a fun thing. I have so many favorite foods. Um, I love one of the things that I, I love Indian food. Um, but I, I love like just a perfectly seared piece of fish with like seasoned and roasted vegetables. Mm -hmm. It's like, a, it's almost like my meal. What is the meal that I love? I do not cook salmon as well as like restaurants can cook salmon, but that is one of my, like, you know, just when it has that beautiful crust on it, or like a scallop that has that beautiful scallops sear. that are perfectly cooked. There is nothing oh. better. Oh and, gosh. and being a Pacific Northwest girl, we get the fresh, good salmon. So yes, you do. I've been some of the best fish. I've been in Seattle once the best fish I've ever had. It was for a band conference. Um, I'm sure. And oh my gosh, everywhere I went, I was like, just give me all the fish because it's, it's so fresh and it's so good. It is so good. And the East coast fish is very different. Um, so East and West coast for any of you that have not had the opportunity to eat it, they're equally good. They're just very different. Um, I know that when I was in Baltimore for the band conference, I just was so surprised at how different yeah. the seafood was there. Delicious, but different. Yeah. Okay. So what is the one character trait that you admire most in other people and why? I admire, I admire curiosity. Like I just, people that are curious are always interesting because they're always interested in things and people and they want to know and they want to explore and they want to learn. I get so activated by being around curious people. That's a great answer. I love that. Okay. So if I were to turn the mirror on you, yeah. what's the character trait in yourself you're most proud of and why? Mm. I am most proud of um, my vulnerability that I'm willing to go there that I'm, and that I invite other people into spaces that are not always easy to invite them into for the sake of helping those people find their own moment of transformation or insight or reflection and I'm really proud of the extent to which I'm able and willing to be vulnerable about the stuff I need to work on, about the stuff that I screw up, <laughs> about um, where I'm struggling. This has been a journey. I've not always felt that I've been adept at that, but it's really been something I've worked on in the past five years. And I 
build more confidence in it all the time and it gets easier, you know? I love that. Okay. So this is a two-part question and you may have already answered the first part, but I'm going to ask it anyway. So the first part is who is your favorite singer of all time? And then the second part is what is your favorite song of all time? Oh my gosh. It's like picking my favorite child. I know. Um, I, <laughs> I mean, if I had to pick the one who like influenced me the most, who I listened to the most growing up, it was Mariah Carey. Um, just her belting, her gospel pop. My style is like gospel pop country. If I had to like identify how I like to sing. Um, and her, her music is just like in my bones. I listened to her songs so many times. If I had to pick a favorite song. Um, goodness gracious. If I had to pick a favorite song, like that I could listen to, I have a playlist of, I call the Peacock playlist. It's called my Be the Peacock, <laughs> which I, I put together when I, um, I mean, I really love, oh gosh, I'm like looking at my playlist. <laughs> I, I, I'm like, what do I love? I love, I mean, I love the song, This Is Me. Like that song is like a declaration of like, I, I'm stepping out. I'm who I'm meant to be. This is me. Um, the sharpest words try to cut you down. You know what I mean? Like just that I will not, it's a song that's like, I will not be defeated. I am here. I am not hiding. And just the swell of the instrument. I mean, that song is a power song. I love that song. So I'll say this is me. Okay. So um, I don't usually share mine, but I will tell you that um, it, it related to that, one of my favorite all time songs is I Won't Back Down by Tom Betty, uh -huh. um, because that was just my anthem when I was, you know, up against it, especially as a younger female in a male dominated industry. It was like, okay, you're not going to push me around. And that was kind of my, that was kind of my song. Um, okay. Well, you've already shared a big talent, but is there anything else, a secret talent or something people might find surprising about you? Something is surprising about me. Um, <laughs> I have a something. Okay. I have a love of nineties hip hop and jock jams music. I love all the nineties and I know all the words baby got back, but, um, <laughs> people, uh, I'm always, I'm one of the first people on the dance floor at a wedding. I cannot dance as well as I can sing by a mile. Um, but it is something that brings me a lot of joy. Oh, I'd say one thing people don't know about me. I'm upset, kind of obsessed with escape rooms. My husband and I have done about 60 to 70 escape rooms. Oh, you're kidding me. I've never done one. <laughs> I always thought it would be fun. Yeah. 60 to 70. Yeah. Like we go to a new city. Like we'll do, we were in Austin at one point for like we, or Chicago for like five days. And we did like three escape rooms. We we're in Alexandria for a weekend. We did like four escape rooms. We, he's secretly James Bond. I'm secretly Nancy Drew. I read all the Nancy Drew books growing up. And Same. we go on adventures and we solve puzzles and we're both competitive and it's so much fun. So I love escape rooms. If anybody has escape room recommendations in your city, send them my way. <laughs> that is awesome. Okay. Last question and we'll wrap it up. So is there somebody that you um, either follow on LinkedIn, listen to a podcast, um, somebody you'd really like to meet in real life, sit down, have the lunch with, and just find out more about what goes on in their brain? Oh, yes. She's one of my favorites. I would love to meet. It's one of my goals is at some point in my life to be on Brene Brown's podcast. I knew, I, I knew that was going to I knew that was going to be your choice. So I'm not surprised by that one. So that yeah. is a wonderful answer. 
Yeah, I love her. She's really, I mean, her, the first book I read of hers was like, oh gosh, probably seven or eight years ago. I read, I thought it was just me, but it's not, which is about shame. And that yes. was the first book that I read. And then um, it was like, I, I felt, you know, seen in a different way. And that was when I was just starting to come out of my shell and, and be more vulnerable. And, um, you know, she's somebody who I just admire. She's funny. We have similar tastes. Like, like we all, my husband and I, my husband played soccer in college. I played soccer in high school. And we both love the show Ted Lasso, which she has totally gotten a huge following on because her fans listen to her and they like whatever she likes. But I'm like, I just feel like there's a there's a lot that we would banter about. And she's no BS, no nonsense. Yeah. And she tells it like it is. And I feel like we would just have a really honest storytelling, um, life-giving conversation, you know? So that's on my that's on my bucket list. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time this morning, Rachel. Um, if people want to know more about your program, um, how would they reach out to you and learn more? Yeah, they could just message me on LinkedIn, um, connect, connect with me on LinkedIn, send me a, send me a note or on my website, which is unmutedlife.com. I have blog posts and podcast episodes and that kind of stuff on there. And then the, the, the third place is Instagram or um, at unmutedlife on Instagram. Wonderful. Well, thank you again so much. This was a ton of fun and I hope that you have a great day. And until next week, everyone, um, you have a great day as well. <laughs> this was the best. Whatever my you. words today, I don't know what's going on in my head. So it was anyway. awesome. All right. Thanks again. Bye.